As I said, I'm Kenny White. I get to be the Shakopee campus pastor, and Pastor Matt and I, we get to co-lead. We work with a leadership team that includes our executive director, uh, Tracy Hatch, and it is, it is just a joy to minister with one of the most talented teams that I've, I've not just worked with, but seen. And I don't say that flippantly. We have an amazing staff here, and it is a lot of fun to serve together. So, yeah, we get, to, we get to worship the Lord, and that's a lot of fun. We also get to do it with some amazing people, and we're in this together. And we, we see that, we recognize that, we, uh, we embrace that. Having said all of those things, uh, you need to know that I love you. Because this message might not feel that way when we're done, okay? So I just want you to know that ahead of time. Uh, it, is, it is a hard message. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that I'm going to go from pastoring um, to meddling really quick. And you may feel that, and I recognize that. You may feel like, Pastor, you're not just stepping on my toes, you're kicking me in the shins. I'm doing it in love. <laughs> uh, sometimes the Word of God brings us things that it's difficult to address. Sometimes we have to pause before the Lord and ask some hard questions. Today is one of those days. It's one of those days that whether you're, you've never received Christ as your Savior uh, or you have known the Lord for a long time, uh, wherever you land on kind of that large spectrum, there is... A, a way that I can hurt your feelings today. So I recognize that. I love you. I want you to know that. And we're, we're going to lean into the word together and see what Jesus brings us. Are you willing for that? All right. Well, with that in mind, let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we do love you and we do praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed good to us. And um, we recognize that sometimes there are hard things that we have to address. There are hard things that we deal with, and I am so thankful to uh, work with a staff and worship with people who were willing to embrace that truth, that there are just these times where your word, it's kind of hard. Your word is, uh, uh, is pointing, is directly pointing at our heart and maybe illuminating some dark spots that we have neglected. So today, I ask that you would indeed illuminate those spots, but not just that, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would clean those spots up, that you would help us to go from seeing things from a world's perspective and maybe even uh, a, world, a worldly mindset to seeing things in your kingdom and how you do things. And that sometimes that's different. Sometimes it's dynamically different. And sometimes it's even painful. But we would embrace that at this time. Uh, we would lean into you for it. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would, again, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Just a few weeks ago was the fifth anniversary of my dad graduating into eternity. And... Uh, just before, about a month before, a little over a month before my dad passed, he called me uh, and asked me to come see him, so I did. And I was in Wyoming at the time, he was in Indiana, and uh, I went to see him. 
And um, my dad was a unique character, and he had a different way of looking at things. And so he led a very difficult conversation this way. He said, I'd like you to officiate my funeral, and I want you to put fun back in the funeral. Would you do that for me? <laughs> That's my dad. Uh, just a different perspective. But I was able to do that, and here's why. Because I knew where he was at. When he graduated into eternity, I knew that's where he went. Because 17 years prior to that, he was in my living room when I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And it was a, it was a beautiful moment. And uh, he surrendered to Christ right in my living room. And, he, and tears and repentance. And it was a beautiful moment. And I watched over 17 years, though he didn't walk up perfectly, though I don't know who has, uh, I watched him slowly align with Christ in his life and what that meant. And so, at his memorial service, we were able to put fun back in funeral, and we were able to celebrate a life well lived, and we were able to celebrate my dad and his going home to his real home, a place where he is healthy and whole. Now, why am I sharing that with you? I'm sharing it because I've done hundreds of funerals perhaps, and they've not all been that way. And in fact, some of them have been with people in churches that I've served that I know never spoke the name of Jesus. They just attended because well, it was easier than fighting with their spouse. And in those places where they passed away and their spouse came to me looking for hope, it was the most painful thing for me as a pastor to not be able to give hope that their loved one was in the presence of the Lord. And I absolutely hate that. And so with all that is within me, I want to come before us today and ask you, beg you to please consider have you really surrendered to God? Not just, I said a prayer one time when I was 12, and uh, it was probably good enough. It's kind of a get-out-of-hell-free card, and I've just played that my whole life. But rather, no, I've surrendered to God. I love my Lord who saved my soul and who called me to himself. I'm begging you to consider that today. No matter what your past is. I've been coming here for 40 years. That's great. Would you please pause before God and ask some hard questions with me as we walk down a passage together? In Mark, Jesus is introduced, and we see him throughout the Gospels doing several things. But one of those things that Jesus does is this, that he is bringing his Father's kingdom. He is reinstating God's kingdom. For all who have missed out, Jesus is making the kingdom of God available again in ways that it hasn't been in the past. Now, people got caught off guard. They were destroyed by the world system. And sometimes even justifying it, sometimes even pretending like they were walking in God's ways all the while they were in the ways of the world. Jesus comes to reinstitute God's kingdom. And that there is a way. Not just a way, but there is access. And that, that access is present tense. It's available for you right now. And Jesus reveals it in some beautiful and extraordinary ways. And if we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, we may see the movement of God in this place. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus identifies his calling, that he's there to preach the gospel. 
He's going to preach the good news. And, and while he's preaching the good news, while he is letting people know how to get into this kingdom, he is healing people. And he's also uh, exercising authority over the demonic and showing that he has power and authority to bring the kingdom of God into the presence of people again. Not that the presence of people somehow defiles God, but rather God has a way of cleansing people who have been defiled. And it's a beautiful picture that we see woven throughout the scriptures. But it's hard. It's hard for a variety of reasons. And the primary reason, if you have one thing that it might be a takeaway today, it would be this. If I turn this on, that works better. There you go. <laughs> people are interested in the fruit of God's kingdom, but submitting to Jesus' authority thins the crowd. <laughs> we sure like the stuff and things of God's kingdom. Peace? Yeah, I want that. Uh, eternal life? Please sign me up for that. To obey Jesus? To follow him to the cross? To die to myself and pick up the cross? Ugh. That doesn't sound as much fun. Can I just have these things without really following Jesus? And I want to tell you that that has happened so many times. So many times. Why? Because we look at this kingdom, oftentimes, from, from a perspective of the flesh. What makes sense to us? But God's kingdom doesn't always work that way. In fact, God's kingdom can't be understood in the flesh. Uh, it's very difficult. There are things that are said uh, that you just don't get in the flesh. I'll, I'll, I'll share this. I'll spell this out a little bit more. Jesus, from today's standard, would have been considered at times, and please hear what I'm going to say, a bad communicator. Why do I say that? Because he sometimes spoke in parables, and it wouldn't explain it. And he would just kind of go, yeah, if you have eyes to see, this. But what if they don't have eyes to see? What about when people stopped following him because his teaching was too hard? Wait a minute, you want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? We can't do that. Yeah, if you have eyes to see it, you can. But if you don't, you can't. That's not a great communicator from our perspective today. Jesus doesn't double down and go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me show you what I mean. Let me teach you. Either you get it or you don't. And the way that we get it is either we're walking in the flesh or we're walking in the spirit. And that is something that is given to us by God himself. So we're going to seek God today. We're going to ask some difficult questions. And we're going to walk together in Mark chapter 3. And we're going to start around verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. You're going to see a series of of stories that kind of build on each other. And they, they, they really kind of climax in the third story, but we see it kind of uh, spelled out in the fourth story. If we would have eyes to see it. And so follow along with me, if you will. We're in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. And I want to lead with the principle. Here's the principle. People are drawn to the fruit of God's kingdom. Again, we like the fruit. Oh, it is good to be joyful. Yeah, I love that idea. To have peace, more for me, thank you, yes. 
to have love both extended to me and given to others, great. Submitting to God, loving others as myself, dying to self, that's hard. People are drawn to the fruit of God's kingdom. Let's see how it spells out here, and then we'll look at a couple of other places. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Why are they coming to him? Because they heard what he's doing. Watch what happens here. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. I'm going to stop there for just a second so that we get the picture. Jesus recognizes that this crowd is coming. And what does it, why is the crowd there? Because they heard something. He heals people. What do they want? They want this healing. It just happens to be coming through Jesus. It's very likely that if it was someone else, that would be fine too. They want the healing. It's not about Jesus. Why would I even suggest that? Well, I suggest that in part because Jesus wants a boat to get away lest they crush him. This is God in the flesh. He's probably not just making stuff up. He's concerned. As they descend on him, as they reach out to touch him, as they push in, there's a concern that he'll, he'll be crushed. Why? Because they want the healing. They're not as interested in Jesus. I want the things and I want the stuff of that kingdom. But I don't know that I want Jesus. It goes on. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. There, I can only guess at why. Uh, that's... That's all I have, so I'm stepping back out of my role as a preacher, as a proclaimer of the word, and tell you my my best guess is that Jesus knows something that we don't know, and perhaps, perhaps, that a part of that is that people would hear that Jesus is the Son of God, get the wrong idea, and celebrate, and press down in on him in ways that uh, it just wasn't the time for. My best guess. That's all I got. Best guess. But let's not forget what they are doing. And what they are doing is pressing in on him. They want the fruit. Here's the deal. This isn't the first time this has ever been the case. I want to tell you another time in scripture. It looked like this. The children of Israel with a mighty hand were taken out of Egypt and were going towards the promised land. It was God's plan to have them in uh, this, uh, this desert, the wilderness, for three months. We know for sure, three months. It was an 11-day journey. Three months is a lot longer than 11 days. But he had them there for three months, wanted to teach them something. They decide to not be faithful. In not being faithful, they're condemned there for 40 years to wander around. So they're in this place. God is revealing himself as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. As a cloud by day, the children of Israel are gathered around him with all of their things and all of their stuff. And sometimes, in inconvenient ways, uh, God would say, it's time to move. We're going somewhere else. And without too much warning, he started to move. 
And it was the expectation and responsibility of the people to follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And sometimes the pillar of fire moved at night. Ooh, that's inconvenient. So one day, Moses and Joshua go up to the mountain. They're meeting God on the mountain. And there's thunder and there's lightning. And they start to wonder because Moses is now in his, he's 80. And they're wondering, ooh, he's been there for a long time. I don't know if he's coming back. We should figure this thing out. What a great opportunity. Let's uh, cut the leadership in half. It was supposed to be Aaron and her, but they go to Aaron, not Aaron and her. It's an important piece. Uh, as we look at it, they divide the leadership. And when they go to Aaron, they say, hey, as for this Moses, we don't know what's going on, but we should worship the Lord. We should worship Elohim translated oftentimes as gods in our, uh, in our translations, but it's also the name that we used in general terms for God. So what they're saying is, we should keep worshiping God. Here's how we'll do it. We'll give you all of the gold. You put the gold in the fire and fashion something that we can call Elohim, God, and we will worship Elohim, that idol, as God. And here's the beauty of that. This is the implied piece. There'll be times when we'll want to go and we can tell the idol when it's time to go. And there are times when we'll want to stay and we can tell the idol when it's time to stay. See, for them at that time, they wanted the fruit, but they didn't want to follow God. And they did their own thing and they made God something different than what God was intended to be so that they could enjoy the fruit, and they could pretend as if they were following God. But that's not the first time it happened either. You can go back into the garden as an example in Genesis chapter 3. And if you go down to about verse 6, you'll see something interesting. It's, it's when Eve sees this fruit that she's not supposed to have. Again, in God's kingdom, in the garden, right? This fruit that she's not supposed to have, she wants because why? It's good for the eyes. It's not, just a, it's not just good for the, or I'm sorry, it's not just good for food. It's a delight to the eyes, and it's desired to make one wise. Mm, it meets all the qualifications. And if I just had that fruit, I don't need to follow God for that because it's really the fruit that I want. I want to be like God, not just with God. And that has been the default movement of humankind ever since. That we very much enjoy and like the things and the stuff of the kingdom of God beyond following God. And it is a dangerous place to be. It is a dangerous place to be. Let me make a suggestion. For example... In our prayers, and I'm guilty of this, I am not pointing out anybody, or maybe I'm pointing out everybody, I'm not sure. And it's this, I've prayed this prayer, God, keep me safe as I travel. Would you go before me, behind me, above me, below me, to the sides? Would you keep me safe? What am I really praying? Well, to be honest, I'm praying, Lord, don't let my car break down. I don't really have money to fix my car if it breaks down. Also, I don't want to be in Leroy, Illinois when my car breaks down. I, I just have no desire for that. 
I want the things and the stuff. I want safety. And that's a good Christian word that I can use to kind of make it sound good too. But what if I pray a prayer like this? God, you say you'll never leave me or forsake me. Indeed, you say you're with me even to the end of the age. Wherever I go, there you are. You're with me. And God, I know that you love me. And so because that's true, I'm asking that whatever happens on this trip, that I meet you, that I know you better, that I walk more closely with you, that I experience you, both your grace and your mercy. I love you, Lord. Do you see a difference in that prayer? Now, let's just change it. Put your family in that, in that prayer. Put, put your work in that prayer. How does that change things? Instead of praying for the, the outcome, the things and the stuff, apart from the presence of God, we now are praying to experience God in relationship through the things and the stuff. And whatever the things and the stuff is, whatever that is, we'll meet God in those places. It changes things dynamically. Let's keep walking through this passage because it doesn't just stop with that. So they are being bombarded with these people, and Jesus pulls away. He goes up onto a mountain, and he calls 12. In fact, uh, let's see if I can pull it up real quick. This is not going to be on the screen. But in calling the 12, it says this, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then he identifies who those 12 are. Now look at it. Look at the juxtaposition. On the one hand, there are people who are seeking Jesus for the things and stuff. On the other hand, Jesus is calling a unique group of people, these 12 to not just get the things and the stuff, but to take this message that he's been preaching and take it out. In other words, on the one hand, there are a group of people who are saying, it ends with me. I am the dead end of God's grace and mercy. It just ends with me. I want the things and stuff. I want the fruit of God's kingdom, but I don't need God for that. It ends with me. Jesus uniquely pulls these 12 away, and he says this, that I I am giving you this authority. He calls them apostles. That means they're the sent out ones. They are the sent out ones who are sent out with a message, and the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave. He gives life to anybody who would call on him. That's the fuller message that they began to preach that we've received. Because it wasn't a dead end, it was a through street, it was an avenue of grace that extended to us, that we're supposed to extend. And so, people can't understand the spiritual call of God's kingdom. People can't understand the spiritual call of God's kingdom. It is unique and it is distinct uh, from the call that the world hears. The call that the world he- hears is this immediate gratification of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If, I, if you can just fix this thing, God, in my life as if he were some sort of genie that we, we rub the lamp and make our wish and God is at our beck and call to do what we please. It's dangerous. That's dangerous. And we somehow can easily justify it But the reality is a group 
uh, a group throughout time have sought the things and the stuff, the fruit of God's kingdom without seeking God. And in doing so, they've missed the call of God. What is the call of God? Well, at, at least to these 12, uh, the call is to continue on both to preach the gospel and also giving them the authority to cast out demons. Pretty interesting because uh, those 12, they were willing to give their life. Well, 10 of them gave their life. In fact, as they went all the way up to what we would consider modern-day Russia, some church history records, and all the way over to France and the north into Germany. Some went over into Alexandria, Egypt, and some into India. Ten of them gave their lives. One of them the, that was used by Satan, that deceived Judas, specifically, is replaced by a guy named Mattias. Mattias, in Acts chapter 1, we, we see that he replaces Judas. Uh, he also gives his life. What am I saying? I'm saying that it is dynamically different than seeking the fruit of the kingdom. See, whoever seeks the fruit, they're still, like, it ends, right? Like, eventually, uh, you're safe, to, like, you're, you're not going to live forever on this side of eternity. Uh, sometime, you're, you're not going to be as good as you were. Sometimes things aren't going to work out the way that you want them to work out. Sometimes this stuff ends the way that we think of it. But this presence of God peace, we can't get away from that. And the call of God in our lives to continue to proclaim the gospel, to continue to make a through street for this gospel to go to others, that is absolutely our call. And it's received by others, and as, as others receive it, we see the kingdom continuing to move on. It's why we're here, because a group of 12 people who went up on the mountain with the Lord received this call, and they gave it away. The final one is a guy named John. So out of those 10, one was replaced, 11 gave their lives uh, and in a way that is unique and called martyrdom. But one of them did not. His name was John. John authored the gospel. He authored 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and also the book of Revelation. Uh, church history has him going to Patmos and being there for a season in his late 70s, early 80s having to work a rock quarry. I wouldn't want to do that today, let alone in my 70s or 80s. Pretty tough deal. Church history also suggests, although this is mm, debatable, but they do suggest that he, was, that he was actually boiled alive, didn't harm him, and shared the gospel in that place, and everyone around him came to, came to Christ, and uh, uh, the leaders got him out there, out of the area before anybody else came to Christ. That's the lives of the people who took this call seriously. And God may be calling you. Perhaps it's just in your home. Perhaps it's at your work. Perhaps it's a full-time call in ministry or in missions. Would you be willing to receive that if so? It's certainly to take the message of the gospel to others. All of us share that. All of us share that. And if you're going, ooh, that's hard for me, we do a thing once a month called relational evangelism. I'd love for you to come out and hear a little bit more about it. If you say, hmm, Monday nights don't work, 
Give me a call. I will happily sit down with you and talk you through it. Be pleased to do that. But it's all of our call. People can't understand the spiritual call of God's kingdom. And we certainly see that even with Jesus' family. He went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. They didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And sometimes we don't either. Let's keep moving forward in this passage. Because there's, there's kind of a transition here. Uh, a, a fuller understanding of what it means to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you. Some have argued the finer points of, of this in particular. But we're going to look at the context of it. But we're going to start at the end. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemy, blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Uh, Jesus is suggesting that people can be forgiven of anything except for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation I have where someone will say something like this. Are you saying that despite the fact that Adolf Hitler had six million Jews killed, that if before he died, he legitimately called on the name of the Lord, that Jesus would have saved him and he'd be in eternity? And I say, yep, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly it. And here's why. Because God is bigger than Adolf Hitler. He can do that. He can heal and he can forgive. Now, I'm not suggesting that Adolf Hitler did that. I'm saying that Jesus is big enough to cover that. Why does that matter? Because some of you are carrying some pretty big burdens. Some of you were imprinted by someone in your life in such a way that you've carried some guilt and shame in your life in ways that have affected and infected relationships and decisions your whole life. And you feel unclean and you feel like God can't meet you and God can't forgive you. I've heard it a thousand times. And I'm here to tell you he can. That's not my word. That's Jesus. And we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. As we turn from sin and turn towards Christ, he does that work. But what about this, blaspheming the Holy Spirit? That, that sounds uh, like I want to know more. Because if that's the only one uh, that, that we have to dodge, <laughs> we, we should talk about that. We should be clear on that one. So again, keeping in mind that, that Jesus has been pressed to heal people and that some people are coming to him for the wrong reasons. They want the things and the stuff. They want the fruit. They don't want Jesus. That Jesus is calling others into his kingdom with a unique call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Not just that, but he's also calling them to a life of holiness. In the midst of that, this. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Beelzebul is, is very specific. Um, 
it means Lord of the house. And the further context is going to help us to better understand why Jesus maybe used uh, that phrase or stuck with that phrase or didn't push back against the phrase, that phrase specifically. Regardless, that, that phrase seems to be used interchangeably with Satan. And so, uh, here it goes. Uh, some were saying, the scribes were saying, he's possessed and by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. And verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Like, that doesn't make sense. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Uh, So Jesus, again, is clarifying that Satan can't be dwelling within him. He's casting Satan out. It doesn't make sense. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So, Jesus, in addressing this, is not addressing the attack on him, but rather the spirit that indwells him. He's not addressing the attack on himself. He's not saying, whoever says bad things about Jesus, hmm, you're in trouble. But rather, the spirit that indwells him, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Whoever speaks about the Holy Spirit, there's a problem. And, And that that is complete, right? Like we hold on to that until death. Because there is the opportunity for repentance. We see that uh, when Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he begins to proclaim the gospel. There are people there that were there when Jesus is crucified. People are hearing Peter's statements, his comments. They were also there when Jesus was crucified. Yes, crucify him. Ah, who is this guy? Some of those repented, and some of those called on his name. What am I saying? I'm saying that many of those who said that Jesus was this later repented and called on the name of the Lord. But had they have held on to it till death? Nope. Jesus is a demon. Let me say it a different way. Jesus is just a good person. He's just a good person. But Savior, mm, Lord, eh. I don't think I can go there. What are they saying? They're saying that Jesus isn't God. The spirit that indwells him is not God. That is unforgivable. That does not allow us to cross over into eternity. And that is the one thing that all of us have to address. Earlier, I made a comment about funerals and having to do funerals where I'm going, I don't know the answer. I don't know if you know the Lord or not. I have never heard this person in years of being around them speak of God. Pro, for or against. And now I I have to stand in front of other people and make proclamations that you would like me to make that I can't make in good faith. I can't do it. And I don't want that to be true for any of us here. 
And so we're all in this place. What do we do with this matter of the Holy Spirit? Have I received Jesus in a way that Jesus is? God in the flesh. Have I called the Holy Spirit into into my life by repenting of my sins and asking Jesus to save me? Have I done that? If you have, praise God. If you have not, please, I beg you, I can, please consider that today. That has to be something born of God, not born of a conviction of some pastor who's warning you of your funeral, but rather a call of God in your own life. A call of repentance from this world and acceptance of the kingdom of God. The God who came in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, who conquered sin and death, who rose from the grave, who conquered sin and death by raising from the grave and giving life to anybody who would call on him. Have we done that? When? When did you? That's the challenge and something that we all need to answer individually. Continuing on. In this kingdom of God, people can't understand the familial relationships. And Jesus puts high value on relationships. In fact, he doesn't shirk responsibility of his own relationships, his personal relationships, even with his mom. He's at the cross and he tells John, the guy who, uh, who isn't a martyr, the only apostle who isn't a martyr, he tells him to watch his mother, to care for her as if she is his own mother. Uh, he calls him to that. So he takes care of these familial relationships just because he was born into that home. But also, he calls us into different types of relationships and puts high values on them. fact is, Jesus even said things like this, unless you hate your father and mother, unless you hate your spouse, unless you hate your children, and are unwilling to pick up the cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciples. Jesus made comments like that that uh, help us to understand that these familial relationships in God's kingdom mean something. And he has something to say about it. In uh, Mark chapter 3, we'll look at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Let's keep going. Uh, the, the rest of the passage won't be up there, but I'll read it out to you. Verse 34, he says, 34 and 35, And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus identifies that in God's kingdom, it really is about doing his will, God's will. That will starts with surrendering into a relationship with Jesus by confessing our sin and calling on his name. It continues on through obedience to his word and proclaiming his gospel and faithfulness to him. It continues on. We're not earning our salvation, but rather we're living it out. And it starts now. These relationships matter, and they're high-value relationships because we're a body. And in being a body, I need you, and you need me. We need each other. All of us are necessary in the kingdom of God. 
and to have a place and a purpose. And so, in just a few moments, the worship team is going to be coming forward. And as they do, I want to ask a couple of questions. And in asking these questions, uh, I want to challenge us to respond. Here's the first one. Are you ever drawn to the things of God's kingdom while not being drawn to God? In other words, here is my prayer request. Would you help me to get, uh, I don't know, to be healthy? Would you help me to have more money? Would you help me to... And it's, it's not necessarily wrong, but if that prayer ends with, yeah, and once I got that, that's great. Thanks, God. Or does that point us to the reality that ultimately God is the fulfillment of our health and he's the fulfillment of, of our treasure? It's different. Are we ever tempted? Do we ever do this? If so, it's time to repent. God, I'm sorry. I've been walking that way. I've been seeking things and stuff. I've wanted the fruit and not wanted you. Forgive me. I'll follow you. Second, have you received Christ as your Savior? Really? Have you surrendered to the Lord? I'm a sinner and I need you to save me and I can't save myself. And I want to receive this gift that you have given me, Lord. This gift that is you. Sometimes we just want to call it eternal life as if, as if Jesus and eternal life are separated, but they're not. They're one and the same. I'm not just receiving eternal life. I'm receiving Jesus, who is eternal life. I'm repenting. And I'm calling on you, O oh Lord. Amen. Have you received Christ as your Savior? As you wrestle with that, the worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song together. I'm going to make myself available over here on the side. If any of you want to talk about this, I'm available. Let's talk. Uh, Joel, I'm just going to tell you because we didn't talk about this, this part. Uh, if I'm still over there talking, go ahead and close up without me, all right? Perfect. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we love you and we need you. And we would just even confess now the reality that sometimes we have sought things and stuff. We've sought the fruit, but we've not sought you. Forgive us. Lord, it's very likely that even in terms of our own salvation, we've thought that we were saved because we said a prayer so that we could not go to hell instead of saying a prayer to receive you as our eternal life. Forgive us, Lord. We would even repent now of that and call on your name. Be exalted here today in Jesus' name.